Today I want to talk about uh, an interesting topic. I want to talk about how information uh, dictates our experiences, dictates our reality, information. So I want to just work with that word to begin with. Information comes from inform. And the truth is that everything that we experience comes from within. It's, it's from the inside out. It appears to us that we're having experiences, like, for example, if you celebrate, celebrate the holidays, if you celebrate Christmas on December 25th, you'll have uh, opening presents, uh, having dinner, turkey or a goose or a tamales or whatever it is that's your, fa- that's your favorite uh, holiday meal. And all that stuff's presented outwardly to us, and so it appears to us that we're experiencing it from the outside in. And to a degree, that's true. You'll see what I'm saying in a minute. But in reality, we're being informed about our experience. We're, we're, our, our experiences are being formed from within by the information that we have. So here's what I, here's what I mean about this. Let me see if I can give you some examples. So when I was three years old, they discovered that I was legally blind in my left eye. And I can, uh, I can see out of my left eye, but not very well. It's mostly shadows and blurs and things like that. So immediately people would think there's something wrong with my left eye. There's something wrong in the structure with my left eye or something about my left eye that doesn't work. The truth of the matter is, is that my left eye is completely intact. And the the nerves that receive the signals or the information from my eye in my brain is completely intact. But for whatever reason, my brain did not develop the ability to perceive or create an image and give that image to my brain from my left eye that I could see. So there's no way to correct it with eye surgery or anything like that because my brain just simply, for whatever reason, doesn't receive that information in a way that it's able to form a clear picture. Now, my right eye, the brain produces the picture just fine. Interestingly enough, my youngest son has the same problem with hearing. He's completely deaf in his left ear. And for people who are completely deaf in one or both ears, there's things they can do like cochlear implants and things like that. But for him, when they did an MRI on his brain, they discovered that his nerve, his auditory nerve on that side was underdeveloped. So there's nothing wrong with the structure of his ear. So the sound is coming into the ear perfectly. The ear is doing its job. But because the brain cannot receive the information, the brain cannot give to him the experience of hearing. So even though his ears completely intact, the brain does not produce the sounds so that he can hear them. Even though my eye is perfectly intact, my brain does not produce the image so that I can see it. So the truth is, is that in all of our sensory perceptions, all five of them, we're receiving information that the brain then has to process. And it's only once the brain processes it that we can actually have the experience. So whatever you're seeing, whatever you're hearing, whatever you're feeling is not the thing out there 
that you're responding to. It's the solicitous take site, for example. Whatever you're seeing is not the thing out there. What you're seeing is how your brain has taken information from your eyes of what's out there and then produced the image to give you the image so that you can actually experience the image. Now, an even more astounding uh, way to understand this or experience this for yourself is that they've done all kinds for years, uh, decades, over a century and a half probably, all kinds of experiments on perception. And so what they've discovered is that you perceive what you believe or you perceive what you've been informed to perceive. So the classic example of this is the Gestalt drawing. Uh, Gestalt is the psychological term that just simply means how your brain takes all this information and then produces the experience for you. So in basic psychology classes, if you ever had one, you're going to study Gestalt psychology and the psychology of perception. And there's this famous drawing that can you can see either a old woman or a young woman. And when you're informed that both of them are there, your brain will kind of shift back and forth. And if somebody shows you, you know, here's the hat that the young woman's wearing, um, here's her chin, now all of a sudden you can see it because you've been informed to see. You can make sense out of that picture. Or if you were seeing the young woman, they can say, well, here's the old lady, here's her chin, here's her nose, this is her hair. And once they explain that to you, you've been informed about it. Now you can see that image and you can experience what you've been told, basically, or informed to experience. So it's coming from within. Now, if you really want to get freaked out, there's another one out there called uh, The Invisible Gorilla. You can Google that on, or I'm sorry, you can put that in the YouTube search engine, and you can watch a video called The Invisible Gorilla. And this is this shows even more, I'm not going to ruin it for you and tell you what it's about, but this shows even more in a more astounding way, in a way that we can really experience it, that we only perceive what we believe or what we've been informed to perceive. So this is the really scary thing. On some of these experiments, what they do is they they run a, a video or a picture of something, and there's something in the video or the picture that you don't see. And then you're told to look for the thing in the picture in the video and you run it again and it's right there in front of your face and you can't believe you didn't see it. And the reason you didn't see it is because the brain, in order to make sense out of the world in which we live, the brain has to delete information or it has to distort information uh, that's coming in. But once you've been informed, once you've been told, once it's been explained to you or you've learned or you've gotten the information that there's something there that you weren't seeing, immediately when you watch it again, you see the thing that is there. Now, I know that sounds kind of kind of weird and kind of crazy. Hopefully, I didn't give too much away. Obviously, Invisible Gorilla, there's an Invisible Gorilla that you don't see, um, and then which you might see now because I've already informed you if you go and look at it. But I used to do this with groups. I would pull up this video on the Invisible Gorilla, and nobody – would see the gorilla. Nobody would. I mean, I've done it in large groups, small groups, repeatedly over and over and again over the years. And every time I've run this experiment on a group of people, 
that didn't know they were supposed to see the gorilla. They didn't see the gorilla. I would ask, how many of you saw the gorilla? No hands would go up. Then I would inform them that the gorilla was there, rewind the video, play it again, and everybody would see it. So I'm just trying to give you some basic understanding about how the brain works and how information or, or formation, how we're formed, the forms that we see and we experience come from the inside and are skewed towards our perceptions. They're skewed towards what we believe. So this is really important to me because when, when it comes to consciousness, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to things like the law of attraction, when it comes to changing your life, if you want to have a different experience, even on the most basic level of perception, you have to have information and belief about that experience to even begin to open up the perceptual pathways for you to let that uh, stimulus that's coming from without or coming from other than you into your realm of consciousness and into your realm of experience. Now, I've said this on a few of my previous videos, and I want to go ahead and emphasize this again, that the totality of our reality is made up of our experiences and our memory. When you have a new experience, you experience something that's not in your memory, but your memory, your brain will record a, will make a recording of that, will make a video of that, record a snapshot or an image of that, and attach whatever meaning you've been informed with to make sense out of that experience so that when you have that experience again, you remember it. So I'm saying all this to show two things, how information governs our experience, three things, how information governs our experience, how our memory is constantly being activated and involved in our experiences. And then the third thing is that we live life not based on the reality of the world out there, but we live life based on the reality of the world in here and the way the world in here has been formed. So we are always living our lives and experiencing our lives from the inside out, not from the outside in. So you could really say with integrity, scientific integrity, that none of us experience the world as it is we all experience the world as we are or the way we've been informed to experience the world. So if we want to change our experiences, we spend so much time trying to change our experiences, trying to change our lives by focusing on what's out there. And that's important. That's an important aspect of it. Don't get me wrong. But we haven't really been taught or trained much on how to change our experience by changing our level of consciousness or changing our paradigm or changing the way we think about the world. And so the reality is, is that we are all on some level living from the past. We talk about the present moment. We talk about being in the present moment. And that's a really great thing. But at the end of the day, we're living out of a memory and we're living off of our map, our neurological memory nervous system map of the past 
in order to navigate the present moment. So you could say that the present moment is like the territory. So if I'm in a new place and I want to figure out where I am, back in the day we used to use maps before GPS and all that stuff. Um, but for those of you that are familiar with that, if you wanted to know where you were, you couldn't just turn on your GPS or your location on your phone. You would have to look at a map and then look at the world and try to figure out where you were based on your map. And you would navigate to get to where you wanted to be based on the map rather than on the territory because you didn't know the territory, right? So if you can understand the metaphor, everything that has happened to you in the past or that you've been programmed to believe, the way that you've been programmed to think, that's your map that helps you navigate the present and the future. And like that person who's lost and trying to figure out where they're at, and they don't have a GPS, they're using the map to navigate. We're doing the same thing with our thoughts and our beliefs and our cognitions and even our perceptions. So the point I want to get across is that we are operating from a map that's at least slightly outdated. We're not operating in the present moment, and most of us aren't even operating towards the future necessarily, but we're operating based on the map and the programming that we have from the past. Let me give you a few other examples how this works to help you understand. All communication is a pattern and program uh, and involves memory. All communication does. So, for example, I learned English because my parent, I grew up in America, my parents, my family, my culture, everybody spoke English. So I picked it up when I was little, right? And people are talking to me and I'm learning when I'm going through school and I'm learning how to read, when I'm taking vocabulary lessons in school and I'm learning how to spell. All of that is designed to put into my memory banks this language that we call English. So when I hear someone speak in English or I read something in English, my memory is involved. I'm, I'm hearing the present tense enunciations. I'm hearing the present tense sounds. And as I'm hearing the sounds that the person is making with their vocal cords, it's going into my brain and my brain is making a search of past experiences and saying and remembering all this information. I mean, when you think about it, the brain is so amazing. Remembering all this information to put together what I'm reading or what the other person's saying so that in real time, or at least it seems like it's in real time, I can understand what's being said. But I'm only able to understand what's being said because of the record of the past. So I'm bringing the record of the past into my present moment in real time to make sense of it. If I were listening to someone who was speaking in Chinese or speaking in Russian, I would not have a clue what they were saying, and so I wouldn't be able to communicate. I'd have to use a translator or I'd have to use an interpreter, someone who has a memory bank that recognizes all that information, can make sense of it, and then translate it to me because I have nothing in my memory bank. I have no information. I have no formation from within that's based on my past experiences with the Russian language so that when I hear someone speak in Russian, I can understand what they're saying. Or if I read Russian, I have no basis in my past experience that I can go to. I have no map, if you will, of the Russian language in order to make sense out of what's being said. Now, 
I have a map that's limited by my vocabulary, right, of what is being said in English. So if I were to say to you the word apple, I want you to think about apple. Now, you can process apple, those syllables, syllables, sounds, and when you hear those sounds, this is what's so amazing and what I want to get across. When you hear the sound or the syllables apple, or if you were to read the letters A-P-P-L-E, your brain would immediately trigger those sounds, trigger a memory or activate a memory or activate a programming. So when I say the word apple in real time, you've already activated a programming that helps you make sense of an apple. Now, where this becomes really interesting is when I say apple, what did you think of? Uh, the way this works is that the brain would retrieve an image or a movie or a programming about Apple and what Apple means, what the sounds Apple mean. Those sounds triggered something for your memory. And you either brought up a picture of an apple, the fruit, but what kind? Was it a red delicious apple? Was it a Granny Smith? Was it a green apple? Was it a Macintosh? Or, in this world in which we live, did you automatically think of the company, Apple? And did you think about your Apple product? Or did you think about your Apple iPhone? Or did you think about uh, Steve Jobs? See, it depends on how you're informed to think about the word Apple. But the point is, when I said it, there was a stimulus that triggered something that went back into your memory banks, and you operated off of your memory banks rather than off of the syllables because it depends on what it means to you. If it means a a golden delicious, uh, then that's what you think of. If it means the fruit, that's what you think of. If you're an Apple user like I am, more often than not when I hear Apple, I think about the company. I think about technology. I think about things like that. Now, if I were to give you a new word, and I thought about trying to look up (laughs) some far out vocabulary word that people don't use. But if I were going to, but I have an example for that. If I used a new word for you, you would try to make sense out of that word, but you'd still be doing it from the past. So in this last uh, cycle of the Winter Olympics, I really got into curling, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you know what curling is. Uh, I didn't know what curling was. If somebody had said to me curling, In my memory banks, I would have thought of somebody curling their hair. I would have thought of a woman or a hairstylist or something like that. I would have thought about hair and curling, curling the hair. But there's this whole winter sport uh, that's an Olympic sport that's curling where they put these big, giant blocks uh, on ice, and they have these brooms, and they try to get these blocks to set in certain places. And uh, there's all this strategy and stuff that goes into it. And the first time I saw it, I I thought it was really weird. So the first time somebody said, hey, curling is an Olympic sport, then I would have thought uh, hairstyling because I didn't know what curling was. But now, not only do I know what curling is, but I watched like every curling match. I even recorded them because I got so into this. And they're like three hours long. They're like as long as a football game or whatever. And 
I could tell you about curling. I could tell you about the rules of curling. I could tell you about the scoring in curling. I could even got good enough. I could tell you a little bit about the strategy of curling. But see, before that, I couldn't because I had no information. But the only reason I can do it now is from my memory, from the past. So what I want you to understand is that every experience that you and I have, every encounter that you and I have, we are bringing our past into our future. We are bringing into our present moment and into our future. We're bringing that programming and we're responding and reacting to the programming, not the event, not the present moment, not the future. We're responding to the memory of the past, bringing the memory of the past into the present moment so that we can make sense and navigate our way in the present based on the past. Same thing. So, and, and there's all these triggers. There's all these triggers that activate all these programmings. When I'm talking in English, I'm activating your language programming and virtually at the speed of light or at the speed of thought, or I don't know how fast it is, but fast enough that it feels like it's in the present moment. I can talk fast like I'm talking right now. And those of you that are very fluent in English, you have no problem understanding what I'm doing, but you don't realize that you understand what I'm doing based on a past programming, not based on anything that's going on in the present. But I'm activating that program. Those of you that drive a car know how to drive a car and been driving for years. When you sit behind the wheel, you activate the program of driving and you don't have to put a lot of thought into learning how to drive because you already know how to drive. So you're, when you're driving in the present moment, you're bringing your past into that present moment, which has been activated by the signal of the car and the steering wheel and the gear shift and whatever the case may be, so that you know what to do. Same thing with swimming. If you know how to swim, you learned it in the past, so when you jump in the water, you're bringing that past learning into your present moment, and you're operating off your past learning. If you don't think that's true, take someone that knows how to swim and someone who's never swam and throw them both in the deep end and see what happens. (laughs) you're going to be fine and swim to the edge. The other person is probably going to drown because they have nothing from their past to bring into that present moment to know how to navigate it. And the water for you, so why didn't you drown if you know how to swim? Because the water for you served as a signal in your environment to activate your past so that you could take your past and you could bring it into the present moment in order to navigate it. So the point I'm trying to make is is that everything that we do, we're bringing our past into our present and we're operating off the information. I have information to know how to swim. I used to teach people how to swim. I was a very proficient swimmer. I haven't swam swam laps in a lot of years, probably a decade or more, but I have no doubt that I could go to the pool at the rec center where I work and jump in the water, uh, depending on what kind of shape I'm in, and swim some laps with no problem, because as soon as I hit that water, it's going to activate not just what's in my brain, but what's in my body, what my body remembers. We call it muscle memory, right? So we're bringing all these memories into our present moment and responding to a past version of ourselves based on whatever's stimulating us in the present moment. Those things are getting activated subconsciously, especially what's been wired into our bodies. And everything I've been talking about, language is wired into your body. Uh, swimming, riding a bike, driving a car, all that stuff is wired into our bodies. And we're bringing all this information and learning from the past. We're applying it in the present, but we're not really dealing or operating or acting or moving based on our present moment. We're 
operating and acting and moving based on the learnings that we have from the past. When I dive into the water, the water is simply a signal that triggers something from my past that tells me what to do. And I'm operating out of my past because in my past, I was a very proficient swimmer. Someone who doesn't know how to swim, they have no past. They have no history with that. So when the water activates something in them, there's no programming. There's nothing there to activate, if that makes sense. My dog is going to interrupt this meeting. <laughs> Anna. Sorry about that, guys. So I hope you understand uh, and get the point of what I'm trying to say here. Now, the reason this is important is because we do this in every area of our life, every context of our life. So when we're having relationships with people, we're activating the memory of the past and operating in our present moment based on the memory of our past. So if our relationships, if we've got a lot of really healthy relationships and we navigated and we learned that how to go in and out of people's world and how to build relationships. And if we learned, if we were fortunate enough to learn that the world is nurturing and that people are safe, then we're not going to have a lot of discomfort when we go into social situations. People who have social anxiety, their social anxiety is based on a lot of patterns and memories from the past where either they were abused or they were bullied or they were rejected or they had a lot of negative experiences. So now they're in an environment with strangers. They're in an environment with people that they've never met. So they know nothing about that person's character. They know nothing about that person's values. They know nothing about how that person treats people. So if their programming from the past is, I got bullied a lot. I got rejected a lot. I'm awkward and, and, and weird in, uh, social situations. I'm a shy person. That's coming from some memory or programming from the past that has to do with people. And so the way they're behaving in that situation, if you're shy, it's because you have a record of the past that says you're shy. And somewhere in there, in that record is information, information that people are not safe. And it may have been true that people in your past were bullies, that people in your past were narcissists and abusers and psychopaths and all that stuff. But when you come into a new environment, which is where a lot of people experience social anxiety and become shy, I'm comfortable with people I know. I'm not comfortable with people that I don't know, for for example. What you're doing is you're projecting the record of your past onto those people. Those people could be perfectly safe. They could be your next best friend. Could be a, a person that's going to open an opportunity for you. But because you've been rejecting the past and you're bringing that memory of the past into your present moment, you're going to respond based on how you were treated in the past, not based on who's in front of you in the present moment. Do the same thing with finances. We all have beliefs about money. We all have beliefs about our capabilities. See, and these things start working together. We all, some people are afraid to try new things or learn new things because they didn't develop a good sense of competency um, at various levels of their life. Now, competency is kind of internalized as part of your identity memory somewhere between, say, third and sixth grade. So if all your experiences in third and sixth grade was I'm struggling in school and that's where I spend seven hours a day, struggling at home because I'm getting yelled at all the time, I'm not involved in extracurricular activities 
where I'm able to feel proficient and strong and good at something, then the world becomes a very scary place for you. And you begin to internalize a memory that says, I don't have the ability to learn. I don't have the ability to excel. I don't have the ability to succeed. Other people always do things better than I do. And that becomes part of the person that you remember. And so then that becomes your limitation as far as your earning capacities later on in life. Maybe you won't go back to school and learn a new skill or a new set of information that people will pay you for. Or you won't go learn a trade that people will pay you for. And so you just end up waiting tables or um, doing something. I mean, there's nothing wrong with waiting tables. Shoot, waiters, especially at nice restaurants, make more money than I do. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to say that we create these limitations based on our past, not based on our present moment. If I'm a shy person because I have social anxiety, I have a program called social anxiety that's been formed in me in the past. And when I get into a social situation, I start running that formation. I start running that formation in the midst of those circumstances, and now I'm limited. I'm shy. I don't know how to engage. I'm afraid. I'm thinking more about myself than I'm thinking about the other person. Um, and And... So that dictates my experience in those situations because I'm operating off of my past map rather than really, really being fully present in the present moment. So all that to say that the person that you are and the experiences that you have and the opportunities that you have for your future and the limitations that you're living within are all the byproduct of how you've been formed on the inside from information that you've picked up from your past. And we're all bringing our past into our present moment and then operating out of our past, not operating out of our present. So this is why we perpetuate habits or we perpetuate the same experiences. I had difficulty making friends as a child. I have difficulty making friends as an adult, because every time I get into an adult setting where I can make adult relationships or friendships, I'm bringing my past with me and who I understand myself to be in the past. And that's creating limitations for me based on my beliefs and based on the hardwiring that's in my body. So people who live in a constant state of unpleasant Emotions, maybe not a constant state, but here's what I mean. If you find that the emotions that you're feeling throughout your day are mostly unpleasant emotions, that you're experiencing a lot of worry every day, that you're experiencing a lot of anxiety in various different situations, that you are experiencing sadness, that you are experiencing depression, that you're experiencing anger, that you're experiencing fear, and that's what you experience most of the day. All of that is because you remember stuff. Now, you're remembering it about as consciously as you're remembering what <laughs> the, the English language. You're remembering all the years you spent learning the English language in order to make sense of what I'm talking about. 
this stuff becomes so automatic. So I'm really in the habit of feeling anxious. I'm bringing past experiences into my present moment. I'm really in the habit of feeling down and depressed. I'm bringing my past experiences into my present moment. I'm really in the habit of feeling angry or fearful or whatever unpleasant emotion you might be experiencing. And I'm bringing that into my present moment and I'm creating that experience from within. This is what I really want to get, get to. You're creating that experience from within. Now, want to be sensitive here because there's so much misunderstanding about what mental illness is and how to address mental illness. And people with mental illness often get stigmatized, particularly in religious settings or spiritual settings. And so there can be a lot going on with depression and anxiety in terms of how the brain's responding and the brain can be diseased the the brain is not an organ that is off limits to disease uh any more than the the pancreas uh or the heart or any kidneys or liver or any other organ in the body that might be malfunctioning and not functioning correctly so those there are those components of that but there are new studies out this is really interesting i saw some new studies out on depression that seem to indicate that depression is more of a um, sociological event than even a psychological event, that people often become depressed because of where their social standing is in life. And that's a whole other episode. But even for people who have a brain disease, so there seems to be indication that depression, feelings of depression can be connected to serotonin. And you can take certain medications that's going to improve the serotonin in your brain. But these same studies that show that serotonin will make you feel better with depression also prove out that if you don't go to therapy or you don't do something to change your thinking and the way you think or to change your past, that you're not really going to have good recovery that the best recovery comes when you address, if there is a chemical problem in the brain, you address the chemical problem in the brain and you go to therapy. And so therapy is, good therapy is re-education. It's reframing and you could say altering the map, taking a past map and updating it with information that's more accurate to the territory. So with language, with swimming, with riding a bikes, driving a car, some of these things that I've been talking about, you have an accurate map. Your map accurately reflects what's happening. Although, like I illustrated earlier, with the word apple or curling, your map may be different than what's being talked about, but you won't know it until someone informs you that it's wrong. So what I'm saying is, is that everything about your experience is being governed from the inside out, not from the outside in. So on some level, you will always experience what you believe. So when you get involved in a belief system, when you become indoctrinated into something, you are creating all indoctrination, all indoctrination creates limitations. All indoctrination creates limitations. So if you come from a Christian background and you've been informed about Christianity, 
then your experiences will be interpreted through the lens of Christianity and you'll make sense of what's happening in your life based on that Christian map. Deconstruction is to say this map is not getting me the outcomes that it said I was going to get, that I was promised I was going to get, or that I want to have in my life. So in order to change, I have to deconstruct. I have to tear up that map. So, for example, uh, try to give you another example to help you understand this, uh, sort of a metaphor here. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the city that I grew up in and live in um, decided to put in a river walk downtown. And so they had to completely deconstruct streets and territory in or and reroute roads and streets and all this stuff and tear down buildings in order to take the territory, the land, and put a river where there used to be streets and buildings and sidewalks and whatever else was there before, right? So that the streets that I remember and how to navigate downtown that I remember when I was a teenager, that I remember when I was in my 20s, after this project was done, that wouldn't work anymore. So if I, if you came to Pueblo and I gave you a map out of some phone book that I had from 1975 or 1982 and gave you that map and you tried to use that map to navigate, you wouldn't be able to. Uh, you wouldn't be able to get to places because some of those places don't exist anymore. Those streets have been completely reconfigured. And so if I gave that to you, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be lost, and you're not going to be able to get to the destination that you want to get to. Why? Because you're using a map from the past that's outdated, that no longer reflects or accurately depicts the current situation and the current reality. So we're doing the same thing all the time. We're bringing outdated maps. We're bringing maps from childhood. I still bring maps from childhood into certain situations that create my limitations. So I'm trying to operate in 2022 based on a map that was created for me in the 70s and the 80s. So in the, so I can feel lost in situations in life, navigating relationships, navigating finances, navigating whatever it is. If I haven't updated my map, if I haven't purposely done the work to update my map and say, hey, these streets have changed. That building's not there anymore. There's a river there now. See what I'm saying? So then I can't be effective because I'm bringing my past map into a present situation and my map from the past no longer reflects what's going on in the present moment. So if you're bullied a lot in school, it doesn't mean that there's a lot of bullies on your job, but you will experience them as bullies because that's the only information that you'll have to be able to make sense out of what's happening. You see what I'm saying? So if we want to change our maps, we've really got to look inside and we got to realize, so let's just take social anxiety, for example, because I've been talking about that. If I have social anxiety and I want to change how I'm operating with people, I have to understand that I'm not relating to the person. I'm relating to my projection based on the map that I'm bringing into that relationship. And that map is created because I have some movie recorded in my memory bank. I have some um, 
picture, snapshot of mean people and bad experiences and feel, and then I have the feeling, and this is where it's key because you're not programmed if you don't have the feeling. Then I have a feeling of fear. I have a feeling of being small. I have a feeling of not being competent that is connected to those situations. I have a hard time learning a new skill because maybe in school I didn't feel competent in learning. And so when I'm encountered with something that I have to learn, I almost check out inside. Uh, my brain almost like freezes up because I'm going into a fight or flight or freeze. I'm avoiding it or I'm getting angry about it or I'm just freezing up and don't know what to do because I'm bring, because that event of being in someone's company or having to learn a new skill is triggering that programming. So in the same way, Apple <laughs> activated a programming for you to remember what you think an Apple is and what you think an Apple is like. And then you think we're having communication in the same way when I get in those social environments or I get in a setting where I have to learn something new or I get in a setting where um, I really, I don't feel comfortable. Then I'm activating and bringing, so that person, just like Apple, triggered a programming for you to understand what an Apple was, that person triggers the programming for you to understand what social interactions are like. That new learning skill triggers um, programming for what you think and believe about learning. All this stuff, right, is happening, and I'm bringing that stuff up into my present moment, and then I'm responding to my map, I'm responding to the past, rather than the present or the future. So if I want to change something, if I want to change my experience, if I want to get past my limitations, I have to do the work on the inside. I have to focus on, I have to be aware of, this is where mindfulness or the power of now or the power of the present moment comes into play and why those teachings have impacted people so profoundly. Because if you you read Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, all you were getting was informed that you're one of the first things he says in there, you are not your mind. Well, saying you are not your mind is the same way as saying the map is not the territory. It's the same way as saying the present moment isn't the same as your past. And so then in the book, The Power of Now, if you've read it, Eckhart Tolle teaches a form of mindfulness or what psychologists have known about for years. This is nothing new, um, but what we call in psychology uh, metacognitions or meta-awareness, the ability to be aware that you're being aware, the ability to realize that these are just thoughts. And then you're taught to observe your thoughts. You're taught to observe your emotions because what we're trying to do is observe the programming, the information that's going on on the inside. So in other words, when I get in a situation and I start thinking and start feeling anxious and I start thinking anxious thoughts, I step back and take a position of meta-awareness. They call it stepping into the present moment. Um but regardless of what language you use to describe it, the process is the same. You're observing what you're thinking. You're observing what you're feeling because you become aware then that you're not operating in reality. You're operating off of a map. And mindfulness gives you the ability to read the map and look at the map and then hopefully say, is this map working for me? Is this map not working for me? 
And if it's not working for you, then we have to, that there are processes and ways to go inside and disconnect the feeling from the image. Disconnect the feeling from the movie that you're playing. Apply a new feeling to that, uh, experience. When you step back into a state of meta, meta awareness or you step back into a state of metacognition, or what we like to call in, you know, new age spiritual circles, you step into presence or you step into present moment awareness, then you're automatically activating a new state. You're not as involved in the situation. You're not looking at it like this is really real. You're just looking at it like these are my thoughts. These are my idea. This is my learning. This is my past self. So, what you're doing is you're looking and examining your past self when you step into mindfulness, when you step into presence, when you step into present moment awareness. Really what you're doing is you're becoming aware now as the observer of your past self. And so this is one of the things that, you know, has been taught in esoteric uh, circles for centuries. This idea that just go through a day and just observe yourself. As much as you possibly can, become present to what you're thinking. Uh, become aware of the awareness. Become aware of the thinking. Become aware of the feeling. Tole, in his book, he calls it the pain body. Just observe the pain body. Just be present with it. Be curious about it. And the moment you do that, actually, you're you're disconnecting. Um, well, you're not you're not really disconnecting. You're bringing a new awareness. You're bringing a new feeling. You're bringing new programming just by the act of observing. You're doing something new and you're doing something different. You're not running the same old habit of who you were in the past in the present moment. But often that's that's not going to be enough. Often you need to take that information from a place of curiosity and say, oh, that's that's really interesting. And then this is where meditation techniques and stuff can really help you because you can observe. You can Where did that feeling come from? Where did I learn that feeling? And something's going to pop into your head. A memory's going to pop into your head. A picture, uh, a person, an event, something. And you're going to have a strong, some kind of strong reaction, emotional reaction to it. And so then we have to break that wiring. We have to change that wiring so that you disconnect from that past. But another thing you can do is imagine yourself. Just sit in meditation and imagine yourself in a different future. Uh, this is partly why the law of attraction works, and it's partly why the law of attraction doesn't work, and people get frustrated with it and say, oh, that law of attraction doesn't work. Like, I'm a firm believer in the law of attraction. Whether you want to call it the law of attraction, you want to call it faith, you want to call it magic, whatever you want to call it. Um, I know that it works because I've seen it work re- repetitively in my life. I've seen it repeatable. I've seen it sustainable. In my life, other people try it and nothing happens. And so they say, see, that's just a bunch of spiritual mumbo jumbo or that's not real or whatever, because it's not part of their experience. It's not part of what informs them. So then they just add that to their map of information that none of that stuff works. But for most people, they just think the law of attraction is sitting in a meditative state and imagining a future that you want to have and then creating the feeling that would go with that future. And some people don't even go so far as to create the feeling. You've got to create the feeling or there's no programming going on. So if you want to see yourself in a better future, 
making relationships and being friendly, let's say, in an environment, you have to imagine yourself in an environment with people. And you've got to imagine yourself engaging with people and making friendships. And immediately, you're going to feel that that discomfort. You're going to feel that past programming get activated. And so a lot of people are never able to make the leap to what would it feel like? You've got to feel as though it already happened because until you feel as though it already happened, your body, your muscle memory, your neurosystem isn't going to remember it. So that when you get opportunities in the future, you're going to act like the past self instead of the future self that you're creating. So that there is future crafting. And so that's one of the things that I want to talk about. I'm not trying to tease you. I just, this, this stuff is complex, guys. I mean, people, People dismiss stuff because we like it easy and we like it simple and we'll dismiss stuff. Uh, people who are strictly materialists who say that the material world is all there is, that's all you will experience. That's all you'll experience. Other people can be experiencing extrasensory perceptions. Other people can be genuinely encountering entities and beings that are not part of this physical world or not operating on this physical plane. And you'll never experience it and you'll dismiss it because you've created a limitation for yourself that says this physical world is all there is. The law of attraction doesn't work. And literally, just like with the invisible gorilla that I was talking about, your brain will not process the extrasensory input and information that's coming in. A lot of us had extrasensory perception, a lot of us were aware that our experience, our world of consciousness is so much bigger than this physical material world in which we live. And we had encounters with extra physical entities, or we had dreams, or we had precognitions, or we had intuitions, or we had premonitions, or we talked to the birds, or we talked to the trees. And we told our parents about it, and our parents said, oh, no, that's just your imagination. That's not real. It's okay. You know, come into this consensus that we have that the material world is all there is. And what's fascinating, what I want to get into in the future as well, I just don't have time to get into all this right now, um, is there's been studies that have been done in parapsychology for centuries. For there, There's at least a century of data and experiments on ESP, extrasensory perceptions, uh, the law of attraction, precognitions, all this stuff, but because the academic world has bought into a groupthink consensus that this material world is all there is, they can't get any traction, they can't get any funding, and they can't even get, even when there is strong, strong statistical evidence that we can have precognitions as human beings. Precognition is the ability to perceive something before it happens and then it happens. Extrasensory perception is the ability to have information that did not come through the traditional five physical senses and yet have it be accurate. But it's not taken seriously, so there's not funding. And even when experiments have been done in the past where there is extreme statistical variance, it won't be taken seriously enough to be repeated. Uh, I just saw a comment. Solis says, Dean Radden uh, and the Institute of Noetic Sciences, for example. Yeah, that's why I, I, one, one of the ones I was thinking of. Um, Dean Redden wrote the book, uh, The Conscious Universe, and uh, has been involved with the Institute of Noetic Sciences uh, forever. 
Mitch Horowitz is another one out there that's done a lot of uh, meta-analysis and research on, on some of this stuff. So my point is, because the group consensus says that stuff doesn't exist, it doesn't get any traction, and they can't see it. And then if we buy into that group consensus, we're not going to be able to experience those things either because we just believe they don't exist. And what cracks me up is how um, dogmatic we become with science, how dogmatic we become with the material world. And when we become dogmatic, guess what? We've just become programmed. We've just become indoctrinated with something else. So now we're informed from the inside about what's out there and what isn't out there. And so we'll be very, very limited. So most people that have paranormal experiences or supernatural experiences, they do a, they do a healing or they uh, communicate with a, a, a dead loved one or see a dead loved one or they, they see something that they think is an angel or, uh, or e- evil. Um, it's one of the reasons you don't, you, you know, I understand like the myth of Satan, the myth of Lucifer. Go back through my channel. I've taught on that a lot, but I don't discount the reality of disincarnate evil spirits. <laughs> so, I mean, both can be true at the same time. You, you can say Lucifer and Satan and the church myth of the devil is a myth, but there are also dark energies and evil disincarnate spirits or entities or energies or however you want to relate to them. And the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, was just using archetypes, uh, what they were informed about in the ancient world to understand these energies. But that doesn't mean these energies don't exist. It just means the map's wrong, not that the territory isn't out there. So that's why I'm not one of those out there that just completely dismisses any interference or influence that might come or attack or interfere with our our lives from a negative polarity to use law of one talk or from um, uh, just dark negative energies. But see, if your model of the world excludes all that stuff, then you'll never see it. You'll never experience it unless through a state of shock you come into a different state of consciousness and you can see something. You're you're lying and you get a deep state of meditation and you wake up and you see your your dead grandma there. <laughs> uh you're in a dream. You're shocked. Uh there's a sudden moment where somebody needs healing and all you know to do is pray and you pray for them, and you lay your hands on them. All of a sudden now you're shocked and that shock has broken the formation of the past in because of the seriousness of it. And so now because you're not in that box anymore and because you're not in that limitation anymore, you feel healing power flow through you and someone gets healed. And then you go back to your regular life. You go back to your regular beliefs. You go back to your regular information. So then you try to pray for somebody, but you're not in that moment of shock. You're not in that moment of altered state of consciousness, and you can't get that energy to flow through you. And this is why in the past, shaman were able to do these things. Listen, you can say divine healing doesn't exist. You can say Ghosts don't exist. You can say the evil entities don't exist because we don't experience them, because we we don't have interaction with them. Well, I cannot perform heart surgery. I cannot remove a tumor. But that doesn't mean that heart surgery doesn't exist. That doesn't mean that removing cancers doesn't exist. See, in ancient cultures, people who had gifting or came from family lines where there was proven gifting in the area of extrasensory perceptions, would be taken as children and trained for years how to alter their state of consciousness and navigate that world. They have a whole map from a whole lifetime of training that empowers them 
to be really, really good at those things. And so they were able to be effective. And then I'm going to compare myself to that and say, well, because I've never experienced it, it must not exist. Because the only framework we've had, the only map we've had to understand this stuff has been religion. So anyway, I've gone over my time. Um, uh, and I don't have my computer plugged in. And it tells me my battery's dying. So um, let me see if I can go through some of the comments really quick. And if I just disappear, oh, sorry. Um, mm, not able to do that very effectively. Um, anyway, um, I hope that was helpful. I'll get better at this. I'll get to where I can, you know, go through the chat and the comments, um, more effectively. Uh, Brittany Hill says, yes, this is why affirmations help me when I'm trying to challenge ideas within myself. Yes, affirmations is a way of reprogramming. It's a way of doing the work. On the inside, um, <laughs> grace theology side effects may include spiritual failure to launch syndrome, Benerman says. Um, Derek Day says we're relating to projections, not persons. Uh, Jermaine Thomas says got to watch the replay later and catch what I miss. Hope you'll do that, Jermaine. Go to my YouTube channel and watch it. Um, I'm, it's monetized. It's the way you can support <laughs> what's happening. Um, Jeremy says, awesome talk today. Uh, e. Hughes says, thank you, sir. Um, religious fanaticism, Ben Urban, presses a cessation of spiritual gifts because it dwells in self-depreciation. Absolutely. All right, guys, love you. Thank you for watching this. Um, I really appreciate it again. Big shout out to Derek Day for making this possible for all of us. And uh, I'll see you again later. Now that I'm getting a little bit more tech savvy and have access to this, I may do more of these um, and not just on Sundays. So anyway. Uh, hope whatever time it is for you, it's great. If you're watching by YouTube, please subscribe, hit the buttons, you know, all the stuff to do to help the algorithms comment, even if it is FT, uh, FTA for the algorithm, uh, just to help get this information out. If you've appreciated it and you like it and you'd like for other people to be exposed to it. Um, otherwise hope you're doing great and I will see you later.